0: The other day, I was thinking back to when I used to work in an office all the time. I have this memory of a handful of my favorite coworkers and I sitting around our desks. And if one of us got stuck on a writing or a design problem, we'd do this thing called swivel and speak, where we'd turn our chairs around, tap the other person on the shoulder and ask them to look at our work. The swiveling itself was super fun, but even better was how our ideas would build on each other. Sooner or later, everyone would be swiveling, sparks would fly, and we'd be huddled together. We came up with some of our best creative ideas this way. Just knowing that my favorite collaborators were right there for me to bug or get inspiration from was so comforting. Well, my daydream ended, and when I looked up, I was sitting in front of my laptop, at my desk, in my guest bedroom, with my three half-full coffee cups and snack mess, all alone. I get a lot done in this room, lots of writing, good amount of planning, but it honestly doesn't feel anything like the collaboration I used to have when I was in person. Working from home really works for me, but it's such a different reality. I'm Tiffany Jones-Brown and this is Remotely Curious, a podcast from Dropbox that asks all the questions about hybrid, remote, or as we call it, virtual-first work. Today on the podcast, I'll talk with one of the most creative people I know, podcast host, producer, and musician Rishikesh Hareway, who's been working remotely way before it was cool. He's interviewed hundreds of musicians and artists about creativity for his popular podcast Song Exploder and countless other projects he's worked on with creative people. But first, we'll hear from creative director and Dropbox power user, Adam Nielsen. He works at a TV and film studio called Kaleidoscope Pictures.
1: In my job, the thing that I really love to create is something that's more akin to translation. I love working with clients to figure out like what their vision is and then translate that into a language or a system that other creatives understand. And just act as that in-between part that helps both sides get what they want.
0: And he defines creativity in a way that I love, like breathing in and out.
1: You know those creative meetings that feel expansive and you're coming up to something that's great. And then you also know those creative meetings that feel like they're getting trimmed down. You know, they're editing, there's critique things like that, and it almost feels like it's collapsing. And the trick is is to just keep on breathing, you know, to allow that expansion and collapse to happen over and over again. And my opinion is, is that great creations, they establish that rhythm and other people pick it up.
0: And for Adam, when he started working remotely in 2020, he imagined it would be difficult harder to breathe or to pick up on that breath. But instead, he found almost all positives, like who he got to work with, for example.
1: In the industry, I think that it is sometimes limited by certain types of voices that present themselves in certain types of ways. You know, the go-getter, the person who can talk, you know, the best game, or whatever that is. And you get misguided on what actual talent is. But when you work remotely, everything changes. It's not about who's there in person. It's about who can I reach out to? And you know what? You can reach out to anybody. The whole world opens up. And all of a sudden, we don't need to worry about first impressions. We need to refocus on what the tasks and the results are.
0: My guest, Rishikesh Airway, has similar things to say about the benefits of remote work for creativity. For example, he records all of his podcasts remotely and makes music with people all around the country from his garage home studio in Los Angeles. He makes some of my all-time favorite podcasts, Song Exploder, The West Wing Weekly, and Home Cooking, with chef and cookbook author Samin Nosrat. Somehow he still manages to make time for his own creative pursuits— in other words, he's the perfect person to talk about creativity with. I started by asking him how he came up with the idea for Song Exploder, that podcast where he interviews musicians about their creative process by breaking down a single song.
2: I started making Song Exploder in 2013, but it came out of my life as a musician. I'd been a full time musician really since graduating college. And a lot of times I would have an idea in my head for what I wanted from a song, either in terms of what it meant or how it sounded. And I would have to figure out how to make that come to life, either in terms of how do I express that with words or how do I express that with music or how do I express that with how it's recorded. But I felt like there were very few conversations out in the world with musicians about that kind of work. People talk to musicians when an album would come out, you know, they'd have big interviews and they'd talk about big ideas and talk about the big picture. But I knew from my personal experience that the work of making music didn't really sound like that on a day to day level. And that you were really doing these like small creative decisions or small technical decisions that were kind of informed by creativity over and over and over again in order to get to a song. And the idea for Song Exploder was to make a show where somebody could talk about what those little decisions were while at the same time letting a listener hear what the ingredients of a song sounded like on their own before they all got mixed together into the stew of a song that you actually hear. In the end, it's like getting to taste the ingredients of a dish on their own before you taste the final dish.
0: That's such a nice description to compare it to cooking so I want to get into creativity a little, since that's what we're here to talk about. I find that creativity is a buzzword. And even when I was writing these questions, I found myself uh, using it over and over again. <laughs> so I'm just wondering yeah. what it means to you.
2: Creativity was in some ways a, a name for the weird island that I lived on that was different from the life that my parents understood And sort of the culture of my upbringing, um, as a child of Indian immigrants, you know, there was a very normal path to take, uh, one that was kind of understood where you became a doctor, like half of my family, or you became a lawyer, like the other half of my family, or you became an engineer, like a few of the black sheep of my family, (laughs) you know, like they were software engineers. Oh my Mm. gosh. Um, and, uh, and the fact that I did these, did these other things, I did music and art, in some ways, creativity felt like a way to uh, distinguish all the instincts that I had that kind of fell outside of what was expected. And that was the thing that gave me a lot of joy, the idea of like, one day this thing isn't here, and then the next day it is, and it's because I made it.
0: I'm wondering if you can share some of the best tips around creativity that you've learned from talking to other musicians.
2: Well, I think it depends on what role it is supposed to play in your life. Um, For me, creativity isn't this thing that I kind of flirt with and engage with here and there. It really is uh, a fundamental part of who I am. And the thing that I feel most satisfaction from is when I get to create something. Creativity feels like a little bit like a, like a cloud, you know, like you can kind of witness it from far away and, and you can see it, but then you try and get up close and you realize it's just like vapor. And how do, you, how do you capture that? You need some kind of vessel, you need some kind of structure. So one of the things that I've learned the most, at least about myself, is that I need to impose some kind of discipline what something that feels like the opposite of creativity, some kind of structure in order to actually engage with it. And I've seen people do this in different ways. You know, I, I've talked to people on Song Exploder where they said, I went on a mission where I wrote a song every week for 12 weeks, or I wrote a song every day for 30 days. And what I've started doing um, for the last couple of years has been setting aside every Friday to only work on music. That's been a part of my routine now. I don't schedule any other meetings, and I don't uh, take any phone calls. I try not to look at my email because I can easily get sucked into the feeling of being productive (laughs) by looking at email or looking at social media or something like that. You know, I don't know that there's a way to kind of create the feeling of creativity, but there is a way to create the circumstances to tap into whatever creativity you have. I'll tell you one other thing about creativity that I feel like I've learned from Song Exploder. There are a lot of songs that start with these voice memos. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite things on the podcast is getting to hear an artist's uh, initial voice memo for a song when, when it just sounds like Barely anything. It might be a mess. They're like walking or they're in the car or something. And, and you hear what their brain came up with in that moment. There's no other instrumentation or something. You know, a lot of times it's just somebody like humming into a thing or maybe they're playing guitar, but it's this very raw and loose thing.
0: Here's a clip from an episode of Song Exploder with Janelle Monet. She talks about how she recorded her voice memo on the way to a dentist appointment for a toothache.
1: And so I took Advil... Got in my car, and I'm riding on the highway, and that is when I had the idea for So Afraid. Okay, talk about all the things that you're afraid of in this very moment. And whenever I have an idea, I'll pull out my phone, and I'll press the voice memo. I'm afraid that you won't love me. I'm afraid you judge me so. I'm afraid that you look at me not like the hero. I'm afraid that you... Tell my family that I'm not who I am. I'm afraid that I can never, ever be on Instagram. <laughs> I was like, okay, let's get it out. Let's get it out. Let's get it out. What are you afraid of? What are these things that have been holding you back, giving you anxiety? Let's just talk about that. Really loving who I love, what I stand for. I don't really know who I am anymore. What is has done to me? Why are we enough? I'm just so afraid. I'm afraid of everything
2: having a phone in your pocket to capture those moments is really become an incredibly powerful tool in music making. And I started doing it as well. I will have a melody pop in my head while I'm, it mostly happens when I'm driving because I do find that driving is great because I'm mostly paying attention, but my brain is also allowed to wander in a way. And suddenly some idea will come, come into my head and Having a voice memo is a chance for you to just capture whatever whatever it is. There are all these ways where we can capture these ephemeral moments right as they're happening. And then later, you can figure out what that's going to become. You know, you can work on polishing uh, the sort of rough stone that, that popped into your head into something beautiful and see if it even exists.
0: I actually think his voice memo tool can work really well for non-musicians, too. I do this in the car from time to time when I have a big idea for an episode of this podcast, for example, or something inspiring to share with one of my designers or collaborators. Most of my big insights happen in the shower, though, and unfortunately, I haven't figured out how to record in there.
2: I do think that, like, creativity happens, despite everything that I said about, like, providing discipline— for exploring it, it doesn't happen in a disciplined way. Like it doesn't appear in your life a lot of times in a structured and clean way. A lot of it is just like hard to discern from garbage. (laughs) And there's an element of the work where you have to just pay attention to what you're thinking and what you're feeling and capture it so that you can go back to it.
0: Yeah, and it's also kind of, for me, lovely or hopeful to remember that everything was once quite raw. Mm-hmm. It can be easy, I think, as a person trying to make things to imagine that people who are really good at it, it comes out in a you know polished form right from the beginning. And so it's nice to remember that contained within, in the early mess of it, it's all raw. And right. that's true for all of us, but you end up kind of discerning over time.
2: Getting to hear artists who I really respect and look up to continually tell me about how they went from nothing to a mess to something beautiful, something that that I was attracted to in order to make an episode in the first place has really helped with my obsession around, you know, making things perfect or things needing to be perfect. I think, you know, th- there's a way to look at beautiful things out in the world and just imagine that they're impossible for you to ever create because they're so perfect. Um, and I get to have this reminder all the time that that there, there was a moment when they weren't perfect. And therefore, the thing that I'm doing and the thing that I'm making, even though it's not perfect right now, doesn't mean that it's without value or doesn't mean that it doesn't have a possibility of a future.
0: Well, I'm imagining that many folks will find it comforting that even you experience these feelings. So I appreciate you sharing it so much of your work is collaborative, like you've co-created and co-hosted podcasts like Home Cooking with Sami Nosrat, The West Wing Weekly, and Partners, which is all about professional partnerships. And on top of that, the musicians you interview on Song Exploder almost always, it seems to me, mention their relationships with other producers and collaborators. So it feels clear to me that Finding great collaborators is a pretty big key to the creative process, and I'm wondering if you can say more about what you've learned there.
2: I've learned that you just find a new way to create when there's somebody else involved. I've done a lot of stuff on my own, just locked in battle with my brain versus my brain. And there's something really special about having your brain meet somebody else's brain. There's a sort of unique shape that Gets created when two minds, you know, converge and the product of like what comes out of that, you know, like the border between those two countries is its own particular shape. And then you get to make something from, you know, out of that border, like out of that connection, something else comes and you wouldn't have been able to make it on your own because you wouldn't have their brain pushing against your brain to make that (laughs) particular shape.
0: And it's important for me to remember that this brain converging doesn't go away when we work remotely. Our collaborators' brains are still available. It just takes a bit more intention to figure out how to interact with them. Well, one thing I love about Song Exploder is that each episode sort of shows me how failure and mistakes and these unintended surprises and chaos go into a song. I was listening to your episode with Grimes this morning about the song Kill V. Mame, And Mm -hmm. she had said something about how she wanted the song to sound harder uh, because her friend had told her that her music was cute. And so even though she didn't know how to play guitar, she just sort of pulled it out and experimented until she got the sound the way that she wanted. And then in the end, she called the process a sort of mess of unprofessionalism. But, of course, you wouldn't know that just by listening to the song. The song is great. So I'm curious how you think failure and uncertainty factor into creative process
2: I'll say that I over index on those kinds of moments when I'm editing a, an episode and when I'm trying to make the episode you know I'm picking and choosing from from the interview to tell the story in the most coherent way I, I can but um, I'm also trying to put in words of wisdom and and you know feelings that the artist might have had while creating all of that stuff um, and anytime, someone will talk about how they went down a wrong path or any uncertainty that they had. I always try and include those because it makes me feel better about those moments for myself. And also I think a lot of times it reveals something to the artist about what, what they want. But a lot of times people will respond better by hearing the wrong thing you do something and then you, you know, and you go down one path and then you get to some place and you're like, okay, here it is. And you're like, that is not right. That, I thought that was going to be right and that's not right. It has to be more like this, you know, and and, so, and you don't know that until you hear the failure, until you hear the, the thing that, that doesn't work.
0: Yeah, I was thinking how somebody said to me recently, yeah, if you want to know how the food tastes, if it's any good, you got to taste it. So you make podcasts And you make music. I'm curious how your creativity expresses itself in those different mediums and maybe even how you inject creativity into the parts of your work that are more traditionally administrative, but so important. Your production, (laughs) your admin, all of those things.
2: Like what cool colors and fonts do I use in my emails? Absolutely.
0: (laughs) Which one? We're dying to know.
2: Yeah. All Comic Sans, purple all the time. (laughs) Um. (laughs) You know, you know. I think that uh, there is a level of administrative, or I don't know if administrative is the right word, but like with making episodes of the podcast, there are kind of repetitive elements that I think are different for me, at least in terms of making songs. When I'm making a song, I feel like I'm trying to have a complete idea, um, you know, a beginning, a middle and an end, and it's self-contained and it has all of these things and it's something I haven't ever said before and it tells you something about who I am and with the podcast it's really more like a body of work like Song Exploder for me isn't really about one episode at all it's about the entire thing or the West Wing Weekly is not about a single episode it is about the breadth of talking about the entire series and I think that that makes me much more prolific when it comes to making podcasts because um because you can just sort of make another episode and you're like yeah that's one more step that you know i'm closer to the idea of expressing this thing as a whole and then doing the smaller stuff it's like you know you've you figured out okay i'm i'm carving a horse and uh and you figure out what the horse is going to look like and you figure out what size it's going to be and what wood you're going to make it out of Mm. and then at a certain point you just have hours of whittling where you're like yeah i'm making the thing look the way it's supposed to be.
0: I'm wanting to switch or shift a little to remote work, or we call it virtual first work. Did you notice any change in how your guests or musicians were talking about their creative process during or post-pandemic? Like did not being able to go into a studio or having to do a big chunk of the work, like songwriting remotely, did it change things for people that you noticed?
2: I think working remotely has been a part of music making for a pretty long time. You know, the very first episode of Song Exploder was with the band The Postal Service. And they named themselves The Postal Service because they worked remotely by sending recordings to each other through the mail. It was a pre-digital remote collaboration. yeah, And that was in 2003. So it was pretty novel back then. I think by the time the pandemic hit, a lot of people work with, with folks who are in other parts of the world. I remember doing the uh, Game of Thrones theme song episode of Song Exploder, and uh, the composer, Ramin Johadi, was talking about recording, you know, with a choir in Prague, I think. And he wasn't there for the, for the session. He had to just sort of tune in um, from Los Angeles and give notes and direct, essentially, remotely. So I didn't find that people changed the way that they talked about working. I found mostly people changed what they were writing about, like the things that they Hmm. were feeling. You know, it, it was more of a reflection of the human experience of being isolated. You know, there's something very special about being in the same place when it comes to making music, but I think there are a lot of parts of it that can potentially translate uh, to working remotely and even open up new possibilities.
0: Yeah, I was actually curious how you think it can be beneficial.
2: Well, for one, it just allows you to work with people all over the world. Just in terms of my own experience as a musician, I got to write and make music with people uh, everywhere. The first song that I put out uh, after a long time, the first song from an EP that I, I released, That was a song, I wrote it with my friend Jenny Owen Youngs, who lives in Maine, and I was here in Los Angeles, and we wrote it remotely. Mm -hmm. Um, And it features Yo-Yo Ma on cello, and he recorded his part in Boston. And his engineer was somewhere else entirely, and I was in Los Angeles. So it was sort of the three of us in three different parts of the world working on this song together. But you, just the fact that, you know, you can increase the number of collaborators who are at your disposal by saying, hey, anybody can be anywhere. Um, that's a game changer.
0: Yeah, we've found the same thing where now we can hire and work with people all over the United States, whereas before not everyone wanted to move to San Francisco or where a few offices mm-hmm. were. So I think in a lot of industries, we're finding a similar trend, which is so exciting. We've also heard from some people that when they're not in person, but they're trying to create something that requires collaboration, kind of like kind of miss a bit of the synchronicity and the magic that comes from being in person hmm. or that can come from that. But it doesn't sound like in your creative process of making with all these wonderful musicians that that has felt true.
2: It's just different. You know, I think a lot of Creativity comes down to comfort. You need like a baseline level of comfort in order to access some of the feelings or thoughts that you need to access to to write something. Sometimes being in another room away from everybody else might make you more comfortable. Uh, I mean, there were a lot of jokes about how wonderful the pandemic was for introverts. (laughs) But all kidding aside, I think that for someone who is a little less comfortable being in front of somebody and having to sort of have this kind of performative aspect to collaboration by being being there with someone, maybe it's a little bit easier being on your own and talking to someone through the kind of the limitations of screen sharing or, or you know, through a, through a camera or, you know, having your camera off even um, might make it better.
0: Absolutely. And we hear from folks who identify as more introverted i'm one of them who say exactly what you're what you're describing so i'm glad that you i'm glad that you brought that up
2: there's a little uh, one very small but significant um, way that working remotely was beneficial for me was the podcast that i made with samin home cooking We've never been in the same room (laughs) to record that show, ever. It started, you know, in March 2020. Samin lives in Oakland. I live in Los Angeles. And the entire DNA of that show was us connecting remotely and recording.
0: Yeah, I was just listening to your Vegan Biscuit episode. And you were (laughs) joking. I think, you know, it's like the first five minutes or six minutes of joking. I can't remember, but it sounded completely natural and in person. I was actually surprised. Or, I mean, I knew it going in that it wasn't, in person, but as I was listening to you all joke, I, I was surprised at the moment when Samin was uh, just like evaluating your cooking over Zoom that night. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So you wouldn't know.
2: That's right. Yeah. yeah. But she and I both laugh a lot as part of the show because we're making each other laugh. But it's very hard to edit while somebody's laughing in the room <laughs> with you while somebody else is talking because that laughter is just baked in to the recording. But, if you're on two different mics in two different rooms, um you can you have a lot more control and uh, and and so I had more control to make it sound <laughs> more natural,
0: yeah, it's like brain smushing on brains, but it's like laugh smushing on laughs. you can't separate exactly. separate yes. Them. You, yeah, yeah, you were working from home before it was cool to do it seems like you've been doing that for a really long time. What's your advice for staying creatively energized when you're all alone and maybe in your case spending 10 or 11 hours a day in your garage?
2: Well, it definitely helps to be in a place where I can go outside and take a little walk or even just do a little pacing um, outside of my garage. I think getting up and getting away from the thing that you're working on is really, really crucial, whether it's inside or outside or or just metaphorically, that helps. I, I you know I have to remember to take breaks. that's really important, Some, you know, just getting on the phone. I, I think one of the reasons why working remotely has felt natural for me and and I enjoy it is because I really like talking to people on the phone, and I think that helps a lot. you know, taking a break from what I'm working on to give my brain a refresh, but also in terms of the actual Stuff that I do when i when I talk to people remotely or when i'm interviewing people for a podcast and they're in another place i don't find that being away from somebody physically um, reduces the sense of intimacy or connection that you can have with them
0: yeah, and I've heard from folks that the phone in particular is a way to feel even more intimate in the conversation than a face-to-face call at times. One friend told me that it was because they could imagine what the other person was saying in in Mm. a deeper way, which I thought was kind of beautiful. And then there's the movement component too, just being able to move around a bit. Remote work has really helped me with this. I can take calls on a walk or work from fresh, inspiring places. I've even heard of people working from the Museum of Modern Art, a true creative change of scenery. But as I mentioned, one thing that's been tricky for me in our virtual first setup is that I'm really leaning on my analytical brain, maybe a bit too much, because there are fewer serendipitous moments, those impromptu meetings that can happen when I'm in person and when my calendar isn't quite so structured. That led me to my next question for Rishi Keish. So one of the things I've been puzzling about is that many of our listeners are Knowledge workers, even if creative knowledge workers, if you will, who spend a pretty good portion of their day using their logical, analytical brains. I know, especially listening to Song Exploder, how important intuition and sort of serendipity and discovery are to the creative process. So I'm curious if you could just talk about that balance between the analytical and the intuitive or if you're feeling sort of stuck in one mode or the other, how to shift.
2: One of my favorite things that's ever been said to me um, in a Song Exploder interview, one of the things that I think about a lot when it comes to my own process is something that Trent Reznor said um, in his episode of the podcast. Uh, he's talking about his collaboration. Um, you know, Trent Reznor works with Atticus Ross now as part of Nine Inch Nails. It's the, Really, it's the two of them. Um, it used to be Trent by himself and now it's, and outs. The two of them, him and Atticus Ross. And he was talking about how he started doing some stuff. He came up with some ideas. He started messing with things and he made something uh, and it was messy. And then he left and Atticus takes over and looks at it and kind of makes, tries to make something and make some sense out of what that is. And then and, and his version of, of the creative idea. But what he said that really struck with me was he said, you know, I try and leave after that first set of thoughts comes out. There's plenty of time later to hit it with the it sucks hammer mm-hmm. is what he said or something like that. And for now, it's just a matter of like seeing what's there. And by letting his partner come in and uh, and look at it, they can recognize the things that they respond to Um and they can be a little bit analytical, but it also allows for them to have some instinctive reaction to this thing that he did uh, instinctively. So I would say that they're incredibly important at the uh, analytical side of the thing and the intuitive side of the thing, but they do have to coexist because without intuition, without the instinctive part of creation, you wouldn't have something that feels alive. Yeah. And without the analytical side you might not have anything at all. You, you might end up having just a mess that never gets to the next stage. You need that analytical side to look at the thing and say, well, what's the value here? And what's the best part? And how do I accentuate this part? And how do I erase the parts that I don't like as much? You need to be able to sort of be a critic of your own raw ideas as much as you are the generator of those raw ideas.
0: That is such a helpful way to put it, appreciating those moments of insight and intuition and instinct and then, again, sort of scaffolding them within a bit of structure so that you can give them form.
2: And some people are really good at being able to do both. Some people Mm -hmm. can generate the ideas and they can analyze it and they can do it with a level of coolness. That allows them to really see what uh, works. But the reason why so many artists work with producers or the reason why so many people have bandmates or just have outside collaborators is because a lot of times you do need somebody else's brain in there to tell you what's what's working.
0: It's like we all need our own personal idea doula. Like somebody just be nice to our ideas. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: Yes. Yeah. yeah. Or mean to our ideas. Yeah. Sometimes, they, you know, right. sometimes you might think too much of an idea and you might need somebody to say, well, th- this part is good. You know, that that's why editors exist.
0: You need your idea doula and your challenge network. Yeah. Done. Okay. <laughs> well, Rishi, thank you so much. I feel like I've learned so much and just feel a little bit more creative just listening to you. So thank you so much for your time.
2: Oh, thank you so much.
0: Rishikesh Airway is a musician and podcast host and producer. You can find links to the episodes of Song Exploder that we referenced and links to his music on our website. So, takeaways for being and staying creative in remote work. Number one, you've heard it a million times, but boy does it bear repeating. Take a break, go outside, change your scenery— and see what happens when you take a meeting over the phone while you walk instead of on Zoom. Number two, respect the mess. Some of the most beautiful works of art, movies, songs, are a mess of unprofessionalism hummed into a recorder. If your instinct or intuition is telling you there's something there with a rough idea, don't overwrite it. Just put it aside and come back to it. Which gets me to number three, find yourself an idea doula. Someone who can help you take your rough idea and make it tangible and shiny. Maybe this is a friend who's particularly sharp and pragmatic, or maybe it's just the analytical side of your own brain, which you can call on once you've gotten a first draft out. And finally, remember that even in remote work, it's still possible to smush your brain against another person's brain. You might not be in the same room, but you could still reach out to chat things through with someone creative. And even better, your number of collaborators increases exponentially in remote work. Remotely Curious is brought to you by Dropbox and our friends at Cosmic Standard. Our hardworking producers are Beauty Nazaro, Beck Silver, Samaya Adams, Angela Johnston, and Asia Pilar Simpson. Our editor is Nina Gensler-Debs. Our technical director is Jacob Winnick. And our executive producer is Eliza Smith. Our designers are April Rosenstock, Feliz Camille Tolentino, Fanny Lohr, Gabriela Tayenda, and Justin Tran. Our theme song is composed by Doug Stewart. And I'm your host, Tiffany Jones-Brown. Special thanks to Adam Nielsen for sharing his experience in remote work. And to Rishikesh Airway for all of his creative insights. For more tips on staying creative at work, check out the Dropbox Virtual First Toolkit at remotely-curious.com.